This episode is brought to you by Broad Street Publishing. Humility simply means you, by faith, have gotten yourself out of the way so that God can flow through. We're talking to Dr. Thomas Phillips on this episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Nassadi. Welcome to episode number nine of the Bold Idea Podcast. I'm Larry Gates and along with Armin Asadi. We're so glad you are tuning in to this episode because we got some good stuff lined up. That's right. Not just hot jams. For you guys to listen to. <laughs> Jams. Yeah, you know, we, kind of, we do kind of little bebop a little bit when we start these little episodes who like our music. Hope you do too. But, you know, apart from the music and the fun little bantering that we might get into here, you know, one of the things that I have enjoyed in nine episodes now, and we've actually just completed a few more interviews that are already in the bag and yet to come, we just have had so many really incisive people who have really brought a lot of their own bold ideas to the table. And I'm just really encouraged. Tell you what I'm learning by doing this podcast is really great. Yeah, Um, it's been profound. I mean, especially some of these later ones that we've done. I mean, it's just progressively getting deeper, better. I I don't even, I I don't know if it's a series of questions we're asking. I I, I don't know what it is. It just, the impact of these interviews is very real. Yeah. And What I enjoy, Armin, is behind every person that we have on this episode, and this is true for our audience as well, everyone who listens has a deep story. Yeah. And, you know, our job here is to try to draw some of that out and learn from it because I think that as God's Spirit works in each of us as we trust Him with our bold idea, there's something something to learn from every, every person we listen to. And that's no less true than our guest today. That's right. A man who is... (laughs) accomplished more (laughs) than I can possibly imagine accomplishing in my life and has been partnered with one of the greatest evangelists, if not the greatest evangelist of all time. Yeah, apart from the Apostle Paul, perhaps. (laughs) But, you know, we're here with Dr. Tom Phillips today, and he is the author of Jesus Now, God is Up to Something Big, and also the vice president of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and the executive director of the Billy Graham Library. He is a senior crusade director with the Billy Graham Evangelical Association. He's been that for many, many years. He was the past president and CEO of International Students, an organization I'm familiar with, Armin, from the time that I was on campus at the University of Colorado. We had a lot of international students from that organization there. And he serves on the advisory committee of the Institute of Evangelism at Wheaton College, a member of the Mission America Executive Committee, and this guy just knows something about missions. A couple things. <laughs> one, or, <laughs> one or two things that he can tell us, not only about missions, but even the call and the mission that we have as individuals. And so we want to welcome Dr. Tom Phillips. Tom, welcome to our show. Thank you very much, Larry. What an honor to be with you all. It's quite a privilege to have you on our show I've got to tell you, just reading a little bit of your book, I didn't have a chance to finish the whole thing, but I was stopped early on in reading the foreword to your book. And I I don't know, Tom, how you're processing this, but you've been given quite a compliment. Billy Graham wrote in the foreword of your book, I know of few individuals who have a deeper commitment to evangelism 
and a broader understanding of what is happening spiritually across our land. I mean, wow. that is... That's the Mr. Evangelism himself saying, I know few people who know as much about evangelism. Tom, that's pretty high praise. Of course, we always point to the Lord. Billy Graham is one of the most humble men I've ever known. What a privilege to serve under him, with him, Franklin Graham as well, the whole family and the team. And uh, I'm, quote, just a farm boy from North Carolina that loves Jesus Christ. So we don't ever want to point to ourselves, but to point to the Lord. And we learned that from Billy Graham, of mm-hmm, course. Mm-hmm. Yet I know he's saying that not in a perhaps effusive way or a way to overstate something, but he's saying it because he probably recognizes that you have a heart for evangelism, and this has been a passion of yours for quite a long time. How did that come to be? Interesting. Eight years old, my mother previous to that had read stories from the Word of God to my sister and myself each night as we sat cross-legged in our beds, listening to those marvelous biblical stories. And of course, as you read about the lives of other people, you fall in love with the reality of their lives. And I literally had fallen in love with Jesus. Mm. And in a Southern Baptist, Southern, we call them evangelistic campaigns in the moniker. In those days, we call them revivals. The pastor gave the invitation, if you wanted to love Jesus the rest of your life and live for him, come forward. And I I ran as an eight-year-old boy. Everybody thought (laughs) she couldn't possibly understand. Well, we're not sure we'll let Tom make this decision today. We'll talk to his mom and dad, and at the end of the week, we'll get back with you. And they came back a week later and said to the church, this kid understands. And I did. I met Jesus Christ at eight years old, my best friend, my Lord, and my Savior. So I love to tell young people about him, and uh, that's what we do. That's what we've always done, even though we have another life prior to our calling, we always wanted to tell people that God loved them and Jesus is real and he can be their Lord, their Savior, and their best friend. Mm. I love that. So I got to ask you, Tom, uh, you've been with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association for over 40 years. I have to know, what has been the highlight of working with such a tremendous human being that's made such an impact, an eternal impact on not just this country, but this world. Obviously, the most important thing is realizing that Billy Graham is truly a man of God. To be a man of God, you have to have died to yourself. Mm -hmm. And this is the humility that I've seen with Mr. Graham. A few months ago, we had four young Saudi Arabian university students at the library I spent about an hour and a half with them afterwards talking about salvation, but my first question to them was, what did you get out of the journey of faith as you went through the galleries in the library where over 28,000 people have made commitments to Christ in nine years? Mm. The number one guy, Ali, who was the head of the Muslim student body at the University of Pennsylvania getting his master's in mechanical engineering, said, humility jumped off every wall. And that's what I've seen with Mr. Graham. God has used him because humility simply means you, by faith, have gotten yourself out of the way so that God can flow through. That is the hallmark of Mr. Graham and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Well, and it stands in sharp relief to a lot of what's going on in our culture today where you know, even social media and everything else would want to you know, have us highlight ourselves rather than highlight Christ. Well, that's because we don't know there's a better way. And that's why the Lord told us to tell the truth. People always ask me, well, what about those who've never heard? I said, I'm not the judge. God is the judge. The Bible doesn't tell us 
He tells, God tells us a pragmatic answer. Go tell them. Go tell them. Let me take care of the judging. Your job is to go love them, tell them in word, and indeed primarily the gospel is word. So don't leave that out. So how did you get to where you are today? And you, your long, long road through the Billy Graham Association, but I know you didn't start there. Where did that all take place in your early career? Really, analogously, uh, Congolese Rice said years ago when someone asked her, how did you design or plan your life to get where you were? And she said, I didn't. I'm a poor kid from a poor family. And if I had designed my life, I would have never put the bar this high. <laughs> this is a series of divine appointments. So in the South, I grew up in kind of an egghead and thought I could use education to make a platform for the gospel. And I chose surgery. And I was in pre-med thinking that when you have the white coat on and you're going to perform surgery on someone, they trust you and they may trust your recommendation of a savior. Also, they may not make it through the surgery in some cases. Mm. So what a great place to tell people God loves them and that there is a life eternal and abundant that begins when this particular life is over. But one day in prayer, God spoke to me, and I didn't know he could, but I heard a voice, and it was him. I knew it was him. And he just simply said, Tom, what's more important, helping a man or woman have quality of life or helping a man or woman have life eternal? And it literally shook me to the core. Mm. And immediately I started changing everything in my educational system to do what I thought I should do in learning the Word of God and following him. Did not get to go to the seminary I wanted to go to. God told me no. Went to the second best in terms of evangelism. God told me no. Went to the third one, which was most the most academic and in some ways the best seminary, but not the most spiritual, and God told me yes. Mm. And in that seminary, I ran into an incredible man of God who had the only kilogram chair of evangelism in the world. His name was Dr. Louis Drummond, mm. and he had all of these courses on, quote, revival, being a Southerner, I thought that meant evangelistic campaigns. I thought that meant learning how Billy Graham does what he does, and so I'm taking every one of them. There were six of them. <laughs> and all of a sudden I realized that revival didn't mean that. It meant when God sees fit to open the windows of heaven on his children, call them back to normal Christianity through conviction, confession, and repentance, so that the church can become revived and then tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ in other words, revival, that God could fall on nations, provinces, cities, peoples, and literally change them, break their hearts because of their own sin as believers, and then lead them forward. And when I realized that true revival is when the living God sovereignly and powerfully breaks into human history with the good news of his salvation, I want to do that. Mm. And then, of course, Billy Graham has always said, since 1949, I'm praying for an old-fashioned Holy Ghost, heaven-sent revival that will sweep America from coast to coast, never dreaming I would work with him at the end of my master's degree in divinity. Dr. Drummond had me a position at Oxford in England with Barry White at Regents College, and it really shocked me. I said, Dr. Drummond, I'm a poor kid, and I've got a family. He said, the cattle on the thousand hills are God's. You let me worry about that. But I said, look, I'm not called to be an academic, even though I love it. I'm called to win souls, as we said down south. And he said, well, why don't you, why don't you be my first D-man, doctor of ministry student, in a new degree for evangelism? 
And I thought, my word, what a great idea. <laughs> he came back and said, well, you've got to do an internship. And I said, my goodness, wouldn't it be wonderful if Billy Graham would let me do an internship with him? You know him. And maybe the board here would let me do that. And I didn't think they would. And I was certain Mr. Graham could care less about a kid. And he said, uh, when he came back to me later, Dr. Drummond both said yes. So I started a six-month internship in 1974, and here I am. I tell people I'm so smart, I turned a six-month internship into <laughs> over 30 years, and it's been an incredible <laughs> blessing to see millions of people come to Christ. Yeah, for sure. I think you got infected with this bold idea of revival, right? Because you've written a half a dozen books on it, including your latest one, Jesus Now, right? That's correct. I really want to say to young people, you have a Heavenly Father. And when you go to him and ask him what to do with your life, follow what he says to you. He can guide you even when you don't hear a voice. Mr. Graham, about 14 or 15 years ago, said that the next great move of the Spirit of God could easily come in the marketplace. If God calls you, leads you, guides you to be a nurse, a doctor, an accountant, a Christian attorney, a historian, doesn't matter, oceanographer, doesn't matter. He's put you there as his ambassador. He's put you there as his missionary. We have a course at the Billy Graham Library called Vision for Evangelism for My Generation. And it's easy to think, well, I'll be a good Christian attorney. I'll do the best I can as a lawyer, and I'll teach Sunday school on the weekends. But God says, wait, I put you where no pastor can go. What about the other attorneys? What about their souls? What about your clients? What about the paralegals? Never intrude in your workplace, but ask God in his wisdom to give you a heart to them and open the door, maybe when you're playing golf or bridge or riding bikes or visiting them in prison. It doesn't matter. Give me time, Lord, as D.L. Moody used to pray, Lord, lead me to some soul today. And that's what God is calling us to do. And so when your Heavenly Father leads you, guides you, even if you don't understand it, even if people call you stupid, do it because God will never fail you. So, Tom, I'm kind of curious. You gave a really good description as to what authentic revival is to you, but could you tell us what are the ingredients that make up revival? Uh, certainly. The Bible is very, very clear. Second Chronicles 7.14, we always quote, but it is a formula for each of us for personal awakening. God says to us, if my people, that's God's kids, God always starts movements or awakenings with his church first because he needs active individuals. He needs a foundation to move into society. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that's like Billy Graham just emptying themselves. Mr. Graham said to the Lord, I will go anywhere you want me to go. I will say anything you want me to say. I will do whatever you want me to do. And that's exactly the model of Jesus. He said, I say what my father tells me to say. I do what my father tells me to do. So humble is get out of the way, Tom, so God can flow through. That's why the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, if you, Timothy, will purge yourself of these, above that was a list of sin. If you purge yourself of sin by confession, you will be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, holy, fit for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. I'm not adequate. Jesus is. And Jesus through me is adequate. So if I rely on time, I'm going to blow it. If I rely on Jesus, he will be successful. To him be the glory. Humble, pray. Become intimate with the Lord Jesus Christ. Spend time alone with him. 
Develop a relationship that literally transports your spirit into his presence. Seek his face, the next part of that scripture. Jesus, I want to know you better than any human being I know. I'll humble myself. I'll pray. I'll seek your face. Turn from your wicked ways, the Bible says. But that also means repentance. Turn to Jesus. When we do that, God says, I will hear you. I will forgive you. And then I will heal the land. And out of those kinds of people, God has fought and ended slavery, ended segregation, fought human trafficking, fought child labor, stood against child sexual abuse through his kids, fought for the fair treatment of prisoners, fought for the equality of mankind, built hospitals, relief agencies, orphanages. So when we become who God wants us to be, the society changes. Wow. That was really inspirational. But I'm not an expert on revival. I hear about revival a lot, especially from Pentecostal circles that I've been in. But I I guess I don't know what better way to ask this question, but how would I, someone who doesn't know that well what revival looks like, how would I know that I'm in the midst of a revival? Well, first of all, I would get along with God with my Bible. You have to first know Christ, of course, and then all of us can become quiet. Be still and know that I am God. And think of areas of our lives that could currently be blocking us from the sunlight of the Holy Spirit. So the first step to personal revival or renewal or restoration, revival is really, really an old-fashioned word that we use in the church a lot. But some more modern words are rebuilding, refreshing, renewing, repairing, restoring, resetting like with a computer, Um, reconciling ourselves to God, being quickened in the Spirit, becoming a new person, becoming a whole person. That comes when we get quiet, get the Word of God, begin to study, look at our lives, see if any areas are currently blocking us from the beautiful sunlight of the Spirit, and then becoming honest, literally honest in front of God and saying, Father, these are some areas I've hidden. I've put them away. I thought I've dealt with them, but I did not give them to you. I've gone into my closets of my life. I've opened some shoeboxes. And there's some junk there that I've never gotten rid of. And by faith, I want to give it to you. And that's, that's dying to self. And that breeds proximity to Jesus. And that builds a devotion or an intimacy in that quiet place along with him. Like War Room, the movie. Find that place. Get along with him. I've got a friend who was vital in China in the developing of the Chinese Bibles as a missionary. And I said, you were so busy. How did you have time with God? He said, I set aside A corner of my heart is my quiet place. And when turmoil came because my life never stopped, I went into that room and got with the Lord. So it can be done in a multitude of ways. This has been on your heart for 40 years or probably longer than that. I'm just kind of curious over that period of time, how have you seen the church's, and I use that very ecumenically, the church's receptivity to renewal? Is it getting harder, or are you seeing more of it breaking out? What's your What's your perspective on the prospects of us humbling ourselves and seeking him, as you just described? Always, when God is beginning to move, he starts with pockets of light. And that's what I see. I truly now believe we are in the early phases of a revival, a renewal, a resetting of individuals within the church, pinpoints, pinpricks of light, a revival of love, forgiveness, and acceptance. 
within the bonds of biblical truth. I see that everywhere I go, especially with young people today, they are some, some of the most forgiving. Now granted, before they know Christ, they're like the dove let out of the ark that's looking for a place to light. And they light on cutting, sex, drugs. Sometimes they even want to experience suicide. It's rather difficult to reflect on that particular experience once you had it. But they try it. And since World War II, the great generation that Tom Brokaw wrote about, which is true, I work with young people. I've never seen a greater generation than these young people. When they meet the person of Jesus Christ, they fall so in love with him, they're willing to sacrifice anything and everything in their lives. I see this all over our nation. I can give you instances if you want me to. Well, I was curious. You know, your subtitle of your book, Jesus Now, which just came out this past year, is that right? Actually, right at the election. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, so the subtitle is God is Up to Something Big. So what's he up to? <laughs> well, that's a very good question. For example, as I run into people, I chronicle, and I write about their stories in the book. There's a school teacher in our town here. We use a fictitious name because she's in a very hostile environment. She's one of the top ten teachers in her school. She loves her students. She wants to put God's Word into their life but can't. So she teaches them wisdom. She puts Proverbs all over the wall, doesn't put the Scripture references. But over that year, she will embed into those young kids' lives how to live vertically with God and how to live vertically with others, how to live the golden rule in front of other people. And that's one example. There's a very young lady down in South Carolina who's become a prayer savant, a prayer warrior. She's utterly committed to prayer. She's become very bold, though she's humble and she's meek. She's gone into Governor Haley's office and spent time with Governor Haley, leading her in prayer and helping her spiritually. In Burlington, North Carolina, on May the 8th, a movement of young people broke out in one of the churches up there when Matt Hartley went up to preach. Church of God Church, same kind of preaching that always done. He had preached in that church before. No difference in preparation. God moved, and that lasted about five weeks. Went into the high school football field, went into the arena downtown, 1,500 to 2,500 a night, and in a community of 3,100, over 3,000 came to Christ. Mm. And I can go on and on. These are the kinds of things that are popping up everywhere we look. Lou Engle with the call. L.A. Coliseum, April the 7th this past year, called to young people, pray for 100,000 to show up. Rainy day, 100,000 RSVP, 70,000 showed up. All Nations North America, a group of Native American young people, Navajo and Eskimo, they go visit the tribes, preach Christ, call them back to the Lord. And they had, on, in October, three days, they called the chiefs and chieftains together at Tahlequah, Oklahoma, the end of the Trail of Tears, and there were days of prayer and fasting, and the Native Americans, host nations of our nation, forgave the white man, forgave the government, though they weren't asked to do it because they love God and they want to build bridges for the Holy Spirit to move in America. And this just goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And you have these stories in your latest book. What I do, and also last year, remember Franklin Graham started in January, went to all 50 states, state capitals, called the nation to prayer with our team, we had no idea people would show up like they did. Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday at noon, bad parking, hard to get down to the centers of the capitals, and the turnout was up to 14,000. And many people 
perhaps exponentially that couldn't come, began to pray, calling the nation to prayer, which is the foundation of revival. A.T. Pearson said, there's never been a movement of the Spirit of God in the history of the church that didn't begin in united prayer, and we are seeing the greatest prayer movement Christianity has ever seen globally today. And that gives you a lot of hope for this kind of transformative experience for the believers to humble themselves and turn back to the Lord. That's right. That's exactly what God tells us, that if my people who are called by my name humble pray, seek me, and turn from themselves, I'll hear you, I'll forgive you, and then listen, I'll heal the land. Now, we love the United States. We love our republic, our democratic republic. We love our statesmen and women. We love those who lead us and love God. And yet, the answer is not in Washington, D.C. The answer is above Washington, D.C. We were built on the principles of God Almighty, love and forgiveness and honesty and truth and mercy and grace. And this nation desperately needs it. And those pockets of light always dispel darkness, and eventually those pockets of light will overlap in our country, and we'll see God move in ways we've never dreamed in the history of the church. It'll be the greatest awakening God has ever brought to us. Yeah, that's exciting. That's intense. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Hi, I'm Brian Simmons. I'm the lead translator for the Passion Translation. As a missionary and linguist, it's been my privilege to handle the Word of God in the original manuscripts, and I'm delighted to bring it to you now from the Aramaic, Greek, and Hebrew text in a passionate, emotive, powerful format that will bring life to your reading of the Word of God. Download a free copy of the Book of John at thepassiontranslation.com. Can I drill this down a little bit with you, Tom? Just get a little personal for a minute? Sure, of course. At the heart of what you're saying of revitalization or revival is humility. I think you've got a lot of that. I'm just wondering, have there been some lessons in your life where you've gone off on a path perhaps that wasn't, first of all, seeking the Lord? It was, it was you know, your idea perhaps, and, and then you had to kind of learn the lesson the hard way and double back. I'm just Kind of curious, how did that go for you if, if you've had an experience like that? I was, I was really, really, really fortunate. My grandfather that I loved dearly was a circuit-riding Baptist farmer preacher, big Welshman, and I watched him. Osmosis had a lot to do with my early life. He loved people. He loved the Word of God. And on Sunday afternoons, we lived with him. I can still see him sitting reading the Bible, except when people came over Reverend Joseph Whitfield Phillips, and our home was full of people coming to visit him. So when I was 18 years old, 16, 18, I had a federal job measuring cotton, which is only a southerner would know what that means. It's taking aerial photographs and chains and going out and measuring land that the farmer does not plant, and he makes more money from the federal government in those days than the land he planted. So I, I got that wonderful job. And when I would go out and people would say to me, Phillips, Phillips, are you related to Joseph Whitfield Phillips? And I would say, well, yes, he's my grandfather. Mm. Let me tell you what he did. And story after story of my grandfather taking the offering that he was given at the church, finding a widow, finding a man who was in the hospital, finding a family that was struggling and giving it away. 
And my aunts told me that they never knew him to bring money back home from the church. He said, God gave us this farm. We will work to make it. My grandmother was a prayer warrior. She prayed for me every day. My mom and dad carried me to the Word of God. I met Jesus when I was eight years old. I had a terrible temper. God had to take that. I had a terrible amount of pride. God had to take that. There cannot be a leader that doesn't have pride. And God made anger. There's a place for it, just not inordinate pride nor inordinate anger. And so I was surrounded by wonderful examples of selflessness. Mm -hmm. And so God touched my heart early on to serve other people. So 15 years old, 16 years old, I'm, I'm the kid that shows up at church on cold turkey visitation night to go with the adults. <laughs> and it wasn't because I was gifted. It was because I love people. Mm -hmm. So my life in some ways has kind of been anointed. And I, I am a sinner. I've, I've got a lot of terrible thoughts. And, and I have to give my life to God every single day. And I'm like Paul, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Two verses later, Paul says, Jesus does mm -hmm. that. What a legacy for you to have been under with your father and your grandfather and just that whole spirit of growing up with such an attention to, to Christ and to other people. What a, what a terrific legacy. Now, you've written this book, Jesus Now, God is Up to Something Big. What are you hoping your readers will take away from that? Well, thank you. That's a great question. If you'll notice on the bottom of the front cover, the word awakening is coming out of the dark ink. So the real title of the book is Jesus Now, Quote, Awakening, because we live in a very secular community called the United States. The Apostle Paul, when he was putting Christians in prison and seeking them out, perhaps even them ha having them killed, God came to him on the road to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now notice, he was not seeking Jesus. Jesus was seeking him. Mm -hmm. And when we look at Saeed Abedini, the Iranian brother who came to Christ, came to America, became an American citizen, went back as a missionary to Iran, and then was put into Evan prison, finally got out a few months ago. He was in high school, a jihadist, studying to be a terrorist. Jesus came to him in the middle of the night, and he wasn't seeking Jesus. Jesus sought him. Mm -hmm. And I was speaking, of course, with you two before we started this time together, and a man had told me he was Iranian, and I was told by a gentleman who is Iranian studying to be an imam who's now a tremendous believer working with refugees in Greece from Syria and Iran and other places. He told me that there are at least three million in the house church of Iran, maybe six million, and of course, they weren't seeking Jesus. Jesus sought them. We get a couple of testimonies periodically. I've got one in front of me from a guy named Dennis. That's his American name. He, he's an Iranian. He said, in a dream, I still remember some marks on his face and that he was wearing a crown, a king's crown on his head. Very strong brightness came out of each part of his body, and many people were bowing down before him. That dream became the turning point of my life. One more, Abby, a young girl, said, suddenly, one of the nights when I was in my bed, I just dreamed. And the light was speaking to me as I, am to you, as I am to you now. It was speaking to me and calling my name verbally and saying, Come to me, and I will save you and rescue you. Abby and her mother soon made that difficult decision. They could have been executed by the government, socially ostracized. The takeaway is God 
is searching for the souls of the secular Americans who don't care. Mm-hmm. Mm. Amen. Mm. Well, that's a great place to leave it. You know, I feel like, Tom, we could sit here and break bread and just enjoy a dinner together and, and, and talk all night long. I'm kind of longing for that just in our conversation. I, I know you've got story after story after story and have traveled around the world. And I just love your heart. And thank you so much for being on our podcast. How can our listeners learn more about you, learn more about your book? Sure. They can go to the centerforawakening.com or they can go to a new website that I just secured called JesusNowAwakening.com. You can go to the Center for Awakening, Jesus Now Awakening. I've got the org, the net, and the dot, and they'll <laughs> all direct you to the same location. So the CenterForAwakening.com, JesusNowAwakening.com. Great. Well, we'll have those links in our show notes as well. And Tom, thanks again for being on the Bold Idea Podcast. What an incredible privilege, and I pray that as we go forward, God will give us more time to talk as he does more work, and we chronicle it. Thank you, Larry, and thank you, Armin. Amen to that. It's an honor, sir. Thank you for being with us. My pleasure. My honor. Well, I mean, that was Tom Phillips, and you know, he he's such a humble guy. It was his honor to be on our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It takes real humility, right? I mean, you know, here here we are. We're just so grateful for these guys to be on our show. And yet, you know, a guy like like Dr. Phillips taking the time to be with us, you know, and just to say, you know, it's his honor to be on our show. Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Tom, because we really enjoyed having him on the program. And boy, I certainly took a lot out of this episode we need to unpack this a little bit. Yeah. You know, now, you know, Tom is very measured as you know, you're listening to him and I just love that, that kind of Southern accent that he has that yeah. kind of lends this, this credibility, <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> he said something I wrote down when he said it, he said, if I would have designed my life, I would never have put the bar this high. <laughs> yeah. That's really something. And he said, this has been a series of divine appointments. Did you catch that? Mm. I have thought so often about that terminology. Divine appointments are mean only in the context of meeting someone, you know, this is a divine appointment. You know, I was supposed to meet you or whatever, you know, and I suppose those things can be divine appointments. Yeah. But that wasn't how he meant the word, Mm. at least as I heard it. Sure. I, I heard it as like appointment, like assignment. You know, this is this is an appointment with God that I've got to keep, and that's something that I'm called to do, and, and out of my humility to follow God wherever he might lead me, that that's that's something I'm going to keep, and it's it's a divine thing. And there's this, I captured from here, the, him, this real sensitivity to just wanting to hear where God is going mm-hmm. and taking him. Did right. you get that? I, I didn't think through it the way that you just did, but that really hits home because I, I think about divine appointments in the same way, which is those divine connections of people, but looking at the assignments of life that you get as divine appointments, the good, the bad, the ugly, as a preparation to what God has in store for you. I didn't think through it the way that you just described it, but right on. Well, you know, we have had a number of guests on our show, as we've talked about at the, at the beginning of this episode, and... Many guests have really pithy things to say to for us to think about, you know, mm-hmm. words that we can ponder and some takeaways. Sure. In listening to him, it, it was more like the character of the man that left an impression on me. Right. I agree. 
it wasn't like there was one like specific thing that he said. I mean, I p- pointed out some of that, but it was yeah. more like this. You were in a presence of somebody who's really walked with God in a very mm-hmm. real way. I, I think one of the things that really sticks out to me about Dr. Phillips, and he talked about this, and you brought this up right in the beginning, jokingly, but humility mm-hmm. has been such a foundational piece to who he is and knowing that it was modeled to him by Billy Graham and now he has embodied it. And there are people who know how to say the right things to sound humble, but you can hear, this is going to sound weird, but you can hear humility in his voice. That's what I'm talking about. There are people that have to say words and there are people that, you know, they win others over by not saying words, you know? That's what I experienced here yeah. in listening to him. I just want to ask people, like, because there's no really good answer to this question, but how do you become humble like that, you know? Like, <laughs> I want to know. I'm not good at it. <laughs> I mean, I really am astonished that, you know, you got Billy Graham yeah. <laughs> writing the forward and saying nobody knows evangelism better than Tom <laughs> yeah, Phillips. What? Well, yeah, yeah, totally. I I didn't read. I never read forwards. So when you read that to me, I was shocked. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, if you go back and listen to this interview, there are three words that pop out on the frequency hit list. Right? We already talked about one. Yeah, humble. Right? Yep, yep. Humility. Mm-hmm. The other one was prayer. Yep. And the third that I heard was revival. Oh gosh! I mean, yeah, you wrote the book on. Yeah, I mean, it wrote several books on it. You <laughs> yeah, know, <laughs> literally. <laughs> but you know, you think about all those things; they really come together. In fact, you asked, "How does he define revival?" And he said, "Well, there's a very simple formula for it, and it starts with humility, right?" I mean, th- that's significant. Let's let's just re- re- say that one more time. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, think about how significant. It, I, I just feel like it's worth saying one more time because I I don't ever think anyone has ever processed the catalyst to revival, something that's a big deal to Christendom, that it starts with something like humility, the way that you just pointed it out. Yeah, and when you break down how he describes revival, and he did say it was an old kind of church term, and if you think about maybe a new way to think about revival, which I think he was articulating, is renewal. You know, our Mm -hmm. own sense of vitality or revitalization. Right. And who doesn't want to be revitalized? I and mean, who doesn't want to be re-energized? Who doesn't <laughs> right. want to feel renewed? Who doesn't want to feel like they've got some power and some strength back? Yeah. And if you think about it, it makes sense what he's saying about humility being the beginning point of that, because that life comes from God. And when Paul prayed for the Ephesians, he prayed that they would know in the inner man, they would have the power to know God in the inner man. And mm. and. That has to come from a source, and unless you're willing to allow that source, God Himself, to put that in you, right. you know, you'll resist it, and and pride is resisting that. That's <laughs> very true in my life. So yeah, I can't. <laughs> I, I think the other things that really stuck out to me that he said, and I think you hear this often, but I think often we breeze over it, but. He just simply said, go where God leads you, and no matter where, no matter what it is, he will use you. Even if you can't hear him, he will still lead you. Yeah. And it's so funny how often I hear that, but I do nothing with it, right? Because I hear you, I believe you, I'm sure God will lead me, but I I don't act on it. Yeah. 
you know, and you're ta- you're listening to a guy who's been doing this for 40 plus years in multiple ways and he's literally writing books on revivals and he is going back to the same thing that everyone else tells you. Let God lead you and just rest assured wherever that is and whatever that you do, not only will he use you to impact others, but you will have a life that is worth having that will be better than what you could design. Yeah, I hear him talking about without maybe using this word exactly, but having a missional mindset. Right. You know, and he said, you know, for those going in the marketplace, right, that God puts you where no pastor can go. You know, and I miss that. That's and if, awesome. And I if like you that. think about that, that's that's like if you can look at I'm going to work or you mm-hmm. can say I'm going to my place where no pastor can reach these people. That's the unreached people's group from pastors. You right? know? Spot on, yeah. <laughs> I love that. And I would say the last thing that really stuck out to me is do whatever God says, even if people call you stupid. Yeah. Yeah. You heard that too. Yeah. Yeah, You know, and, and when you, when you're talking or when the topic of what we talk about is bold ideas and pursuing what God has for you and what God has called you to, how often do people get a call or feel led to do something, start something, innovate something where the world around them thinks that's dumb. Yeah. Right, I didn't. I didn't even say. I was. That's exactly verbatim what I was about to say. Is yeah. that's dumb, and you said it. Yeah. But that's the reality that we live in. Uh-huh. And for a man in his position to say, you know, regardless, do whatever God says, even if people call you stupid, because he's obviously lived a life that tells you it's worth it. Right, and he pointed back in time, in his own family and how he grew up, and the impressions that he had as a young man, uh, hearing stories about his grandfather Joseph Whitfield Phillips. And remember the stories that that he was hearing as a young man about what his grandfather did and how he sacrificed and gave. And it reminded me of some of the stories that I heard at my dad's funeral when he passed away, things that I didn't know. I certainly didn't get as a young man, but he was built up in his faith because of the faithfulness of those who preceded him. And Armin, I had to think about that as it relates to our own bold ideas and how we trust God, that when we trust God to say, look, I'm going to trust him to unfold this thing that's in me. I'm going to go where God tells me to go. I'm going to trust him with it. I'm going to take risks, even if it is a dumb idea, because it isn't just about me. It's about my kids knowing that they can trust God for their lives as well. Right on, man. Yeah, I'm so encouraged by this and I'm so challenged by this. I think there's going to be a level of reflection <laughs> around this. And the two main things that I, I'm going to re- be reflecting on is this concept of humility that I make it my own and the other piece of, am I really willing to go where God leads me? But first start with listening to him so I know where he's leading me. Yeah, exactly. But, exactly. Well, you can't go wrong <laughs> applying those things, my friend. Yeah, you cannot go wrong at all. All right. Well, what were the impressions that you had about our interview with Dr. Phillips? We'd love to get your comments. Let us know at boldideapodcast.com slash nine. You'll find a comment field there, and you can leave us a comment about that. Or you can also call our show line at 612-568-IDEA, I-D-E-A. Don't ask me what what the numbers are. Punch (laughs) punch them in on your phone, 612-568-IDEA, and let us know what you think. And also, if you go to boldideapodcast.com slash nine, you'll find the links to the resources that Dr. Phillips talked about in this episode. 
And you can also sign up to receive our show notices there as well. When you do, every time we put out a new episode, you'll get all those links and everything automatically sent to your email box. Well, that is all the time that we have. Heck, we could banter on, but we know your time is precious, and we thank you for being part of this episode. So until next week, this is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. Saying so long and go get them. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.